0: Section six of Danger and Other Stories. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Andrea Coffey Danger and Other Stories by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Chapter four The Fall of Lord Barrymore. These are a few social historians of those days who have not told of the long and fierce struggle between those two famous bucks, Sir Charles Tregellis and Lord Barrymore, for the lordship of the Kingdom of Saint James. A struggle which divided the whole of fashionable London into two opposing camps. It has been chronicled also how the peer retired suddenly and the commander resumed his great career without a rival. Only here, however one can read the real and remarkable reason for this sudden eclipse of a star it was one morning in the days of this famous struggle that sir charles tregellis was performing his very complicated toilet and ambrose his valet was helping him to attain that pitch of perfection which had long gained him the reputation of being the best dressed man in town suddenly sir charles paused his coup d'oeil half executed the final beauty of his neckcloth half achieved while he listened with surprise and indignation upon his large comely fresh-complexioned face below the decorous hum of jermyn street had been broken by the sharp staccato metallic beating of a door-knocker i begin to think that this uproar must be at our door said sir charles as one who thinks aloud for five minutes it has come and gone yet perkins has his orders At a gesture from his master, Ambrose stepped out upon the balcony and craned his discreet head over it. From the street below came a voice, drawling but clear. "'You would oblige me vastly, fellow, if you would do me the favour to open this door,' said the voice. "'Who is it? What is it?' asked the scandalized Sir Charles, with his arrested elbow still pointing upwards. Ambrose had returned with as much surprise upon his dark face as the etiquette of his position would allow him to show. It is a young gentleman, Sir Charles. A young gentleman? There is no one in London who is not aware that I do not show before midday. Do you know the person? Have you seen him before? I have not seen him, sir, but he is very like someone I could name. Like someone? Like whom? With all respect, Sir Charles, I could for a moment have believed that it was yourself when I looked down, a smaller man, sir, and a youth but the voice the face the bearing it must be that young cub burricker my brothers ne'er do well muttered sir charles continuing his toilet i have heard that there are points in which he resembles me he wrote from oxford that he would come and i answered that i would not see him yet he ventures to insist the fellow needs a lesson ambrose ring for perkins a large footman entered with an outraged expression upon his face i cannot have this uproar at the door perkins if you please the young gentleman won't go away sir won't go away it is your duty to see that he goes away have you not your orders didn't you tell him that i am not seen before midday i said so sir he would have pushed his way in for all i could say so i slammed the door in his face very right perkins but now sir he is making such a din that all the folk are at the windows there is a crowd gathering in the street sir from below came the crack 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 of the knocker ever rising in insistence with a chorus of laughter and encouraging comments from the spectators sir charles flushed with anger there must be some limit to such impertinence my clouded amber cane is in the corner said he take it with you perkins i give you a free hand A stripe or two may bring the young rascal to reason. The large Perkins smiled and departed. The door was heard to open below, and the knocker was at rest. A few moments later there followed a prolonged howl and a noise as of a beaten carpet. Sir Charles listened with a smile, which gradually faded from his good-humoured face. The fellow must not overdo it, he muttered. I would not do the lad an injury, whatever his deserts may be. Ambrose run out on the balcony and call him off this has gone far enough but before the valet could move there came the swift patter of agile feet upon the stairs and a handsome youth dressed in the height of fashion was standing framed in the open doorway the pose the face above all the curious mischievous dancing light in the large blue eyes all spoke of the famous Trigellus blood even such was sir charles when twenty years before he had, by virtue of his spirit and audacity, in one short season, taken a place in London from which Rommel himself had afterwards vainly struggled to depose him. The youth faced the angry features of his uncle with an air of debonair amusement, and he held towards him, upon his outstretched palms, the broken fragments of an amber cane. "'I much fear, sir,' said he, "'that in correcting your fellow, I have had the misfortune to injure what can only have been your property.' "'I am vastly concerned that it should have occurred.' Sir Charles stared with intolerant eyes at this impertinent apparition. The other looked back in a laughable parody of his senior's manner. As Ambrose had remarked after his inspection from the balcony, the two were very alike, save that the younger was smaller, finer cut, and the more nervously alive of the two. "'You are my nephew, Bericker Tregelis,' asked Sir Charles. "'Yours to command, sir.' i hear bad reports of you from oxford yes sir i understand that the reports are bad nothing could be worse so i have been told why are you here sir that i might see my famous uncle so you made a tumult in the street forced his door and beat his footman yes sir you had my letter yes sir you were told that i was not receiving yes sir I can remember no such exhibition of impertinence." The young man smiled, and rubbed his hands in satisfaction. "'There is an impertinence which is redeemed by wit,' said Sir Charles severely. There is another which is the mere boorishness of the clodhopper. As you grow older and wiser, you may discern the difference. "'You are very right, sir,' said the young man warmly. The finer shades of impertinence are infinitely subtle. And only experience and the society of one who is a recognized master—here, he bowed to his uncle—can enable one to excel. Sir Charles was notoriously touchy in temper for the first hour after his morning chocolate. He allowed himself to show it. I cannot congratulate my brother upon his son, said he. I had hoped for something more worthy of our traditions. Perhaps, sir, upon a longer acquaintance, the chance is too small to justify the very irksome experience i must ask you sir to bring to a close a visit which never should have been made the young man smiled affably but gave no sign of departure may i ask sir said he in an easy conversational fashion whether you can recall principal Monroe of my college no sir i cannot his uncle answered sharply naturally you would not burden your memory to such an extent but he still remembers you in some conversation with him yesterday he did me the honor to say that i brought you back to his recollection by what he was pleased to call the mingled levity and obstinacy of my character the levity seems to have already impressed you i am now reduced to showing you the obstinacy he sat down in a chair near the door and folded his arms still beaming pleasantly at his uncle Oh, you won't go? asked Sir Charles grimly. No, sir, I will stay. Ambrose, step down and call a couple of chairmen. I should not advise it, sir. They will be hurt. I will put you out with my own hands. That, sir, you can always do. As my uncle, I could scarce resist you. But, short of throwing me down the stair, I do not see how you can avoid giving me half an hour of your attention. Sir Charles smiled. He could not help it. There was so much that was reminiscent of his own arrogant and eventful youth in the bearing of this youngster. He was mollified, too, by the defiance of menials and quick submission to himself. He turned to the glass and signed to Ambrose to continue his duties. "'I must ask you to await the conclusion of my toilet,' said he. "'Then we shall see how far you can justify such an intrusion.' When the valet had at last left the room, Sir Charles turned his attention once more to his scapegrace nephew— who had viewed the details of the famous buck's toilet with the face of an acolyte assisting at a mystery now sir said the older man speak and speak to the point for i can assure you that i have many more important matters which claim my attention the prince is waiting for me at the present instant at carlton house be as brief as you can what is it that you want a thousand pounds really nothing more sir charles had turned acid again yes sir an introduction to mr brindley sheridan whom i know to be your friend and why to him because i am told that he controls drury lane theatre and i have a fancy to be an actor my friends assure me that i have a pretty talent that way i can see you clearly sir in charles surface or any other part where a foppish insolence is the essential the less you acted the better you would be but it is absurd to suppose that i could help you to such a career i could not justify it to your father return to oxford at once and continue your studies impossible and pray sir what is the impediment i think i may have mentioned to you that i had an interview yesterday with the principal he ended it by remarking that the authorities of the university could tolerate me no more sent down yes sir and this is the fruit no doubt of a long series of rascalities something of the sort sir i admit in spite of himself sir charles began once more to relax in his severity towards this handsome young scapegrace his absolute frankness disarmed criticism it was in a more gracious voice that the older man continued the conversation why do you want this large sum of money he asked to pay my college debts before i go sir your father is not a rich man no sir i could not apply to him for that reason so you come to me who am a stranger no sir no you are my uncle and if i may say so my ideal and my model you flatter me my good Vereker. but if you think that you can flatter me out of a thousand pounds you mistake your man i will give you no money of course sir if you can't i did not say i can't i say i won't if you can sir i think you will sir charles smiled and flicked his sleeve with his lace handkerchief i find you vastly entertaining said he pray continue your conversation why do you think that i will give you so large a sum of money the reason that i think so continued the younger man is that i can do you a service which will seem to you worth a thousand pounds sir charles raised his eyebrow in surprise is this blackmail he inquired vereker tregellis flushed sir said he with a pleasing sternness you surprise me you should know the blood of which i come too well to suppose that i would attempt such a thing i am relieved to hear that there are limits to what you consider to be justifiable i must confess that i had seen none in your conduct up to now but you say that you can do me a service which will be worth a thousand pounds to me yes sir and pray sir what may this service be to make lord barrymore the laughing-stock of the town sir charles in spite of himself lost for an instant the absolute serenity of his self-control he started and his face expressed his surprise by what devilish instinct did this raw undergraduate find the one chink in his armour deep in his heart unacknowledged to any one there was the will to pay many a thousand pounds to the man who could bring ridicule upon this his most dangerous rival who was challenging his supremacy in fashionable london did you come from oxford with this precious project he asked after a pause no sir i chanced to see the man himself last night and i conceived an ill-will to him and would do him a mischief where did you see him i spent the evening sir at the valhall gardens no doubt you would interpolated his uncle my lord barrymore was there he was attended by one who was dressed as a clergyman but who was as i am told none other than hooper the tin man who acts as his bully and thrashes all who may offend him together they passed down the central path insulting the women and browbeating the men they actually hustled me i was offended sir so much so that i nearly took the matter in hand then and there it is as well that you did not the prize-fighter would have beaten you perhaps so sir and also perhaps not ah you add pugilism to your elegant accomplishments the young man laughed pleasantly william bull is the only professor of my alma mater who has ever had occasion to compliment me sir he is better known as the oxford pet i think with all modesty that i could hold him for a dozen rounds but last night i suffered the annoyance without protest for since it is said that the same scene is enacted every evening there is always time to act and how would you act may i ask that sir i should prefer to keep to myself but my aim as i say would be to make lord barrymore a laughing-stock to all london Sir Charles cogitated for a moment. Pray, sir, said he, why did you imagine that any humiliation to Lord Barrymore would be pleasing to me? Even in the provinces we know something of what passes in polite circles. Your antagonism to this man is to be found in every column of fashionable gossip. The town is divided between you. It is impossible that any public's light upon him should be unpleasing to you. Sir Charles smiled. You are a shrewd reasoner, said he. We will suppose for the instant that you are right. Can you give me no hint what means you would adopt to attain this very desirable end? I would merely make the remark, sir, that many women have been wronged by this fellow. That is a matter of common knowledge. If one of these damsels were to abrade him in public in such a fashion that the sympathy of the bystanders should be with her, then I can imagine, if she were sufficiently persistent, that his lordship's position might become an unenviable one. And you know such a woman? I think, sir, that I do well my good Vereker, if any such attempt is in your mind i see no reason why i should stand between lord barrymore and the angry fair as to whether the result is worth a thousand pounds i can make no promise you shall yourself be the judge sir i will be an exacting judge nephew very good sir i should not desire otherwise if things go as i hope his lordship will not show face in st james street for a year to come i will now if i may give you your instructions my instructions what do you mean i have nothing to do with the matter you are the judge sir and therefore must be present i can play no part no sir i would not ask you to do more than be a witness what then are my instructions as you are pleased to call them you will come to the gardens tonight uncle at nine o'clock precisely you will walk down the center path and you will seat yourself upon one of the rustic seats which are beside the statue of aphrodite you will wait and you will observe very good i will do so i begin to perceive nephew that the breed of tregellus has not yet lost some of the points which have made it famous it was at the stroke of nine that night when sir charles throwing his reins to the groom descended from his high yellow phaeton which forthwith turned to take its place in the long line of fashionable carriages waiting for their owners as he entered the gate of the gardens the centre at the time of the dissipation and revelry of london he turned up the collar of his driving cape and drew his hat over his eyes for he had no desire to be personally associated with what might well prove to be a public scandal in spite of his attempted disguise however there was that in his walk and his carriage which caused many an eye to be turned after him as he passed and many a hand to be raised in salute sir charles walked on and seated himself upon the rustic bench in front of the famous statue which was in the very middle of the gardens he waited in amused suspense to see the next act in this comedy from the pavilion whence the paths radiated there came the strains of the band of the foot guards and by the many-coloured lamps twinkling from every tree sir charles could see the confused whirl of the dancers suddenly the music stopped the quadrilles were at an end an instant afterwards the central path by which he sat was thronged by the revellers and a many-coloured crowd stocked and cravatted with all the bravery of bluff and plum colour and blue the bucks of the town passed and repassed with their high-waisted straight-skirted bebonneted ladies upon their arms it was not a decorous assembly many of the men flushed and noisy had come straight from their potations. the women too were loud and aggressive now and then with a rush and a swirl amid a chorus of screams from the girls and good-humored laughter from their escorts some band of high-blooded noisy youths would break their way across the moving throng it was no place for the prim or demure and there was a spirit of good-nature and merriment among the crowd which condoned the wildest liberty and yet there were some limits to what could be tolerated even by so bohemian an assembly a murmur of anger followed in the wake of two roisterers who were making their way down the path it would perhaps be fair to say one roisterer for of the two it was only the first who carried himself with such insolence although it was the second who ensured that he could do it with impunity the leader was a very tall hatchet-faced man dressed in the very height of fashion whose evil handsome features were flushed with wine and arrogance he shouldered his way roughly through the crowd peering with an abominable smile into the faces of the women and occasionally where the weakness of the escort invited an insult stretching out his hand and caressing the cheek or neck of some passing girl laughing loudly as she winced away from his touch close at his heels walked his hired attendant whom out of insolent caprice and with a desire to show his contempt for the prejudices of others he had dressed as a rough country clergyman this fellow slouched along with frowning brows and surly challenging eyes like some faithful hideous human bulldog his knotted hands protruding from his rusty cassock his great underhung jaw turning slowly from right to left as he menaced the crowd with his sinister gaze already a close observer might have marked upon his face a heaviness and a looseness of feature the first signs of that physical decay which in a very few years was to stretch him a helpless wreck too weak to utter his own name upon the causeway of the london streets at present however he was still an unbeaten man the terror of the ring and as his ill-omened face was seen behind his infamous master many a half-raised cane was lowered and many a hot word was checked while the whisper of hooper bully hooper warned all who were aggrieved that it might be best to pocket their injuries lest some even worse thing should befall them many a maimed and disfigured man had carried away from hall the handiwork of the tinman and his patron moving in insolent slowness through the crowd the bully and his master had just come opposite to the bench upon which sat sir charles tregellis at this place the path opened up into a circular space brilliantly illuminated and surrounded by rustic seats from one of these an elderly ringleted woman deeply veiled rose suddenly and barred the path of the swaggering nobleman her voice sounded clear and strident above the babble of tongues which hushed suddenly that their owners might hear it marry her my lord i entreat you marry her oh surely you will marry my poor amelia said the voice lord barrymore stood aghast from all sides folk were closing in and heads were peering over the shoulders he tried to push on but the lady barred his way and two palms pressed upon his beruffled front surely surely you would not desert her take the advice of that good kind clergyman behind you wailed the voice Oh, be a man of honour and marry her. The elderly lady thrust out her hand and drew forward a lumpish looking young woman who sobbed and mopped her eyes with her handkerchief. The plague take you! roared his lordship in a fury. Who is the wench? I vow that I never clapped eyes on either of you in my life. It is my niece Amelia, cried the lady. Your own loving Amelia. Oh, my lord can you pretend that you have forgotten poor trusting amelia of woodbine cottage at lickfield i never set foot in lickfield in my life cried the peer you are two impostors who would be whipped at the cot's tail oh wicked oh amelia screamed the lady in a voice that resounded through the gardens oh my darling try to soften his hard heart pray him that he make an honest woman of you at last with a lurch The stout young woman fell forward and embraced Lord Barrymore with the hug of a bear. He would have raised his cane, but his arms were pinned to his sides. Hooper! Hooper! screamed the furious peer, craning his neck in horror, for the girl seemed to be trying to kiss him. But the bruiser, as he ran forward, found himself entangled with the old lady. Out of the way, Mom! he cried. Out of the way, I say! And pushed her violently aside. Oh, you rude, rude man! she shrieked springing back in front of him he hustled me good people you saw him hustle me a clergyman but no gentleman what you would treat a lady so you would do it again oh i could slap 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 you and with each repetition of the word with extraordinary swiftness her open palm rang upon the prize-fighter's cheek the crowd buzzed with amazement and delight hooper hooper cried lord barrymore once more for he was still struggling in the ever-closer embrace of the unwieldy and amorous Amelia. The bully again pushed forward to the aid of his patron, but again the elderly lady confronted him, her head back, her left arm extended, her whole attitude, to his amazement, that of an expert boxer. The prize-fighter's brutal nature was roused. Woman or no woman, he would show the murmuring crowd what it meant to cross the path of the tin man. She had struck him— She must take the consequence. No one should square up to him with impunity. He swung his right with a curse. The bonnet instantly ducked under his arm, and a line of razor-like knuckles left an open cut under his eye. Amid wild cries of delight and encouragement from the dense circle of spectators, the lady danced round the sham clergyman, dodging his ponderous blows, slipping under his arms, and smacking back at him most successfully. Once she tripped and fell over her own skirt but was up and at him again in an instant you vulgar fellow she shrieked would you strike a helpless woman take that oh you rude and ill bred man bully hooper was cowed for the first time in his life by the extraordinary thing that he was fighting the creature was as elusive as a shadow and yet the blood was dripping down his chin from the effects of the blows he shrank back with an amazed face from so uncanny an antagonist and in the moment that he did so his spell was forever broken only success could hold it a check was fatal in all the crowd there was scarce one who was not nursing some grievance against master or man and waiting for that moment of weakness in which to revenge it with a growl of rage the circle closed in there was an eddy of furious struggling men with lord barrymore's thin flushed face and hooper's bulldog jowl in the centre of it a moment after they were both upon the ground and a dozen sticks were rising and falling above them let me up you're killing me for god's sake let me up cried a crackling voice hooper fought mute like the bulldog he was till his senses were beaten out of him bruised kicked and mauled never did their worst victim come so badly from the gardens as the bully and his patron that night but worse than the ache of wounds for lord barrymore was the smart of the mind as he thought how every club and drawing-room in london would laugh for a week to come at the tale of his amelia and her aunt sir charles had stood rocking with laughter upon the bench which overlooked the scene when at last he made his way back through the crowds to his yellow phaeton he was not entirely surprised to find that the back seat was already occupied by two giggling females who were exchanging most unladylike repartees with the attendant grooms you young rascals he remarked over his shoulder as he gathered up the reins the two females tittered loudly uncle charles cried the elder may i present mr jack Jarvis of brazenose college i think uncle you should take us somewhere to sup for it has been a vastly fatiguing performance to-morrow i will do myself the honour to call at your convenience and will venture to bring with me the receipt for one thousand pounds end of chapter four the fall of lord barrymore recording by andrea coffee